Hey there, folks, and welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's longest-running uh, OKR podcast. You know me as being Roger. Uh, I am the uh, the host of Giant Talk, and I'm very excited to be back with you all today, and with a very special guest, someone I've I, I've known for a number of years, and. Uh, um, he uh, he always has some enlightening perspectives on, on on new things that are happening in our field. So I'm really pleased to welcome Brett Knowles to uh, to, to Giant Talk today. So uh, how are you doing, Brett? Uh, I'm doing good, and I'm honoured to uh, have this opportunity to share you know some of the latest and greatest thinking that's going on around OKRs with with you and and the rest of the the listeners. No, that's fantastic, and you know as you may hear. Uh, obviously, Brett's accent gives gives it away that he's uh, from North America, not actually from America. I would God not like to say that to a Canadian. Um, and uh, uh, but the the interesting thing is that you know the innovations, the 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 sort of uh, early adopter activity always seems to happen on your side of the pond. So. That's why it's great to have these conversations to kind of get sight of, you know, what's being played with, what's being tested, what's being tried out. Uh, so yeah, great to great to have that converse, that kind of conversation with you today. So um, the the focus that we thought we would have for today's conversation is around something that uh, Brett has come to call the modern. Uh, uh, organizational operating system or the modern operating model actually i think is the mom is is actually what you've what you've called it do you want to just e- explain to the listeners what 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 you uh, what you mean by that yeah we're calling it the modern operating model i'm, I'm not quite sure that that moniker is going to stick but the concept the idea is our leadership systems, our management systems, literally were built in the 50s or before by people like Peter Drucker. And they're not suited for the sort of challenges that we now have. And the the, the simple model is they're built around um, complex systems, like manufacturing a car is a complex activity. Yeah. And if something doesn't work right, like a piece doesn't fit, you write a new standard operating procedure to manufacture that piece so it fits. The dilemma is it ends up in bureaucracy where we're getting more and more uh, operating steps in and taking the autonomy of the worker away. And that works great in complicated systems, but it doesn't work well in complex systems. So the simple example there is, I don't know, your six-year-old. Your six-year-old stubs her toe and you can solve that with a lollipop. Well, <laughs> But that only works today. Tomorrow, when she subs her toe exactly the same way, the lollipop doesn't work. I need a different solution. (laughs) And that's management. I can't solve today's problem uh, or tomorrow's problem with today's solution. Like it's a complex, not complicated problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from because the, the I mean you've seen over I mean particularly in the past couple of years, but over the course of the past ten to fifteen years, the pace of business has just rapidly accelerated, hasn't it? Um, I mean, at, at all levels in organisations, and and so I mean in many ways, 
that was one of the reasons why I went on the search for a new solution. And that's what led me to OKRs and obviously, you know, meeting your good self. Um, I knew that the ways of disseminating strategy and helping to align an organization and helping to, you know, drive performance through the organization just were not working anymore. So, you know, I, that that that's what led me to OKRs. Yeah, well, so that's part of it. So you touched on two things. One is you know, the brilliant part about OKRs is they're stating what the objective is, not the task. So mm-hmm. in a job description, I say do A, do B, do C. That's a standard operating procedure. And that's great in a repeatable system like, you know, selling a car, making a hamburger. It's not good in managing a sales cycle or something like that. And so the idea of instead of defining the steps, defining the guardrails, and that's what an objective is, is to find the guardrails. This is the objective that you need to achieve, but you, Roger, are going to achieve the same objective as me in a different way because you've got different experiences, different competencies, different interests, and so forth. And so, so long as we live within our values, another set of guardrails, it's all cool. And now we're heading towards that outcome. So this modern operating system is replacing structures like job descriptions and standard operating procedures with guardrails. And, and so, you know, the simple problem is this, if you put in too many procedures, what ends up happening is you disintermediate the individual. They can no longer make choices for themselves and they'll often just follow the procedure, even if they know it's not going to give the organization what it wants, but they advocate responsibility to the procedure and they go, well, I just did what I was supposed to do. And obviously that only works if I'm getting the same problems and the same solutions. We need to shift that to give more autonomy and empowerment to the individual, give them what the guardrails are and allow them to be more clever in solving those problems. Yeah, and that and in, in it, I've found that in a large part that often comes down to how you articulate your key results, because if you articulate them as uh, an output, deliver me, you know, a, a, a X uh, rather than an outcome, find a way of achieving Y. Um, you know, your the first approach is dictating how that should be done. The second approach is 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 making the the finishing line really clear, and then leaving it open to the person who's aligning into that or the team that's aligning into that to work out the best solution to to achieve it. Um, yeah, quite so. And uh, so another attribute of that is you know job descriptions, budgets, and so on are described in the world as a finite game. In other words, if I do this, you win. And that works in, in in football. It works in tennis. You have a set of rules that we all agree to, and we agree what uh, the final point looks like. Except we don't live in a finite world. Uh, think of learning. Learning is a continuous thing. You can never say, okay, I've learned. There's always, you know, it's a lifelong journey is the, the expression. It's an infinite game. And our businesses are also an infinite game. So this idea of artificially making it into a finite game is limiting what organizations can do. And if you think of organizations that have uh, excelled, and we sometimes call this a blue ocean strategy, the ones that play that infinite game, and those are organizations you might have heard of, Google, uh, you know, it's a great example of the infinite game. There's, it's all about heading the right direction, 
but there's no end to this game. And you see endless innovation coming from organizations like that, mm-hmm. even though there are 100,000 people. It, it defies logic. Why? Because they've, got, they've gotten away from the structures that the rest of the organizations are encumbered with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that, that that's that's a really interesting point to be honest. Um, you know, because often you associate uh, large corporates with you know bureaucracy, slow moving, um, anything but agile. Yet there are a few organisations that um, that actually manage to crack it and and can be incredibly innovative, yet still large in scale as well. Yeah, and so um, you know many of the things that uh, appear to be um, limitations when you take a look at it in this way, it begins to uh, it, it's it's obvious, right? It's not like this is black magic. But what's ended up happening is there are a number of things which have uh, there's sort of secondary implications. So COVID, you know, the primary impact was you know devastating, but there's a whole bunch of secondary impacts that came out that were brilliant. For example. Uh, you know, the ability for us to do activities like Zoom and Teams and, and so forth have allowed us to be, you know, far more productive. And it probably would have taken a decade or two to get there without the catalyst of COVID. Yeah, uh, It's also created a new way of working, this work from home or mixed mode format, which wouldn't have existed before. And the issue is work from home isn't successful if you don't have guardrails, if you don't have the OKRs, because you're not there to make sure people are doing that right procedure. Now I need to be confident that uh, my employees understand their priorities, understand the objectives, and they can push in that direction using whatever skills they've got and whatever time of the day works best for them and, and so forth. Way better employee engagement, way better productivity, mm-hmm. but I need to manage that in a different way. And so we're calling that the modern operating system, but it's something that has been forced our way because of COVID. It's been enabled because of the structures that COVID has allowed us to absorb. Yeah. Sorry, go on. um, Enter left stage, the new disruptor. The new disruptor is GPT, generative pre-trained transformations. Because what that is doing is it's bringing a whole bunch of I don't know whether you call it understanding, wisdom, intelligence to the business equation that we can do it from that work from home environment. And in this world where we begin not limiting ourselves with bureaucracy. And so the modern operating system is just the, the coalescing of a bunch of systemic issues that have happened in the last couple of years. Mm, yeah. So what is it that organizations would be seeing or feeling that they would that would be telling them that their current operating system so to speak their current ways of working are no longer fit for purpose you've touched on a couple of things already roger in what you've said so one is i'm going to call it cadence so uh, I think each department is almost like a, an old mechanical watch, right? In your old watches, some gears move once a second, some move once a minute, some move, you know, once a month. Departments are like that as well. They all have a different cadence. But the organization needs to stop on a you know, regular basis to synchronize our watches. And so traditionally, we have a, a biweekly meeting or we have a monthly meeting. And the idea there is we stop for a minute and we synchronize our watches. Hmm. But if you don't have that synchronization, then things 
that would indicate uh, a problem. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like I have a daily standup, but I have a biweekly management meeting, but I only look at risk once a quarter. I have different cadences going on on critical management systems, and nothing is done to, to integrate and coordinate them. And so what ends up happening is metaphorically, the driver of this organization, think of a driver of a car, doesn't have one dashboard. They have five or six different dashboards. And we never look at business in context. So the simple example is, you know, we all learned in business school, there's supposed to be a relationship between risk and reward. So the test is this, ask yourself, have you ever had a meeting where the risk team and the reward team, the management team, were in the same room discussing the same topics at the same time. So tests, do I have that coordination of cadence? Test number two, do I see integration between these different silos? And the silos are things that you touched on. They're different departments, they don't talk to each other. Or different regions, they don't talk to each other. Or uh, different issues like risk versus ESG versus diversity and so on. If we're not, if we don't have that one dashboard that shows us all the stuff and we have a conversation about the organization holistically, that's another indication that we're not in this more modern world. So if I was looking for one word, it would be integration. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you touch upon um, different departments or as you said, different different countries perhaps not working with each other. The 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 ability of uh, OKRs to kind of pull, if you use them in the right in in, in such a way, so to 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 kind of pull together uh, and um, help you know cross functional teams move forward and give them some you know give them that that focus, give them that measure of success, is really quite powerful. Uh, I know that's absolutely central to a lot of um, a lot of clients that we've worked with. In fact, I was only with a client over the past couple of days who was, um, you know, designing their OKR framework and making sure that they understand how it it will work throughout the organisation. Kind of co-creating that with them. Uh, you know, each organisation has its own ways of doing things. And, you know, you talk about cadences. <laughs> Some organizations are perhaps a little, little less disciplined than others. So, therefore, they might have one or two more cadences knocking around than others. Um, so, there's, there's, there's some, some work that has to be done to kind of bring, you know, not necessarily ride through all that and say, right, everybody's doing the same thing. But to synchronize it, I think, is, the, is as, as you said, is the, is the key action there. Yeah, I'm going to loop back to something you said in the first sentence, and then I'll, I'll hit the second sentence. So <laughs> the first one, so there's a, a great, a brilliant book I love by Daniel Pink called Drive. And yes. I forget the subtitle, something like, you know, the curious things that motivate people. But the, the whole premise of his work is uh, in our uh, current business model, employees are more motivated by intrinsic rewards than extrinsic. So intrinsic are the rewards you give yourself extrinsic are ones that come from the external world, your boss, your team, yeah. and so forth. And, you know, anyone who plays a sport, anyone that does online gaming, anyone that plays uh, a musical instrument, you do that for the intrinsic rewards, you you get motivated internally. So I'll use the, and, and that's the same things that motivate our employees. So I'll, I'll use the metaphor of, of playing an online game. Um, I don't know, 
something we all understand, let's say Angry Birds. So there are five intrinsic rewards that we need to drive to engage us in an online game and engage us at work. Number one is purpose. So people need to understand what the purpose is of the organization and how their work connects with it. And so in my metaphor of Angry Birds, we all understand, uh, you know, the objective is to, you know, use a slingshot to fling the thing at the picks. Second is learning. We all need to be challenged and learn at work. And of course, as you're playing that online game, every time you try a different experiment, you're learning about the process. Now, what's interesting about this is if we take a look at the research from last year, if we take a look at this uh, great resignation, 87% of people shifted jobs because of issues one and two. I either didn't feel connected to the purpose of the business, or the purpose didn't intrigue me any longer, or I was not learning at my organization. 87%. Right. That only leaves 13% for lousy bosses, lousy pay, and so forth. <laughs> so it's, it's all intrinsic. Now, the next number three is progress. We need to be able to see that we're making progress day to day. The dilemma is with complex problems, my six-year-old with her stub toe, it's hard to see progress day to day. And so if your listeners reflect on their day jobs, how do you know that you uh, made progress today versus yesterday? Now, obviously, that's what OKRs do. They begin giving you that ongoing progress indication. In Angry Birds, of course, once you've flung your last bird at that that um, structure, you immediately get back what your score was. Then you get back what this, the best score was that you've achieved on that puzzle. Then you get back the score of you know the best in the galaxy and so forth. You get that immediate feedback. And that is part of the learning cycle because now I can repeat the game. So number three, number four is autonomy. People want the ability to mm. solve their job puzzles with autonomy. I still need to live within my OKRs. I need to live within my values, but then I can use my creativity. So you go back to Angry Birds and you try a different strategy to solve that puzzle. Mm. And you learn from it and you get immediate feedback and you act autonomously and keep repeating. Then the, the fifth and final one is socialization. Like this work from home, this COVID has taught us how important our work lives are as a component of our social lives. And so, you know, if you look at the internet, there's more chatter about online games than there is anything else. So how do we create that those five intrinsic rewards in our organization? So again, they're purpose, learning, progress, autonomy, and socialization. And the modern management, uh, you know, operating uh, model and OKRs are the, the circulatory system that makes that happen. Because again, OKRs allow us to connect to purpose. They allow us to see if we're learning. They give us that immediate progress feedback. They allow us to work autonomously because they're talk, talking to us about the outcomes, yeah, not yeah. the outputs. Yeah. And then socialization is a critical part. I'm forming a model in my brain that says more OKR systems fail. I think the two common reasons they fail are, one, they crumble under their own weight. We put in too many OKRs. Agreed. But secondly, we don't run that regular cadence of meetings. Agreed. And I'd mm. rather you have lousy OKRs and regular <laughs> meetings yeah. than brilliant OKRs that you never meet on. Yeah, yeah. Because as you go through from one cycle to the next, you will reflect, you will learn, and you will refine and improve. So, yeah, that's why you can get away with starting with a lousy set of OKRs. Because, yeah. 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 And again, you know, using mixed metaphors, it's a bit like wanting to get in shape. I don't get in shape by going to the gym once a month. Even if I have lousy technique, if I go every day, eventually, you know, my buddies will give me guidance on better technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more importantly, I build that that daily habit 
of um, of fitness. Uh, I build this daily habit of talking about performance, and that's what makes the big difference. So, so is it is it fair to kind of describe as you as as you see it within your uh, uh, modern operating model? Would you is it fair to say that you see OKRs almost as the connected tissue that connects the uh, the different elements of the of the organization together. Yeah, uh, I would I would use the metaphor of, of the circulatory system as opposed to tissue. Like tissue is limited. Uh, all, all metaphors are limiting, but yeah. tissue is limited because uh, it's only in one spot. The circulatory mm-hmm. system talks to the heart, talks to the lungs, talks to the brain, talks mm-hmm. to the arms. It's everywhere, and it needs to be connected. Right? If you've got a an iron deficiency in your blood, it affects every single organ. If you have an inflammation deficiency or strategy efficiency in your OKR, it affects everything. So mm. again, if we were to choose metaphors, I would call it the circulatory system. We still need things like hearts and lungs and brains. And if you use the metaphor, they all add to the value of your blood system. They all add to the value of your OKRs. Lovely. I think that's a really good, really clear uh, metaphor to kind of get your head around. Um yeah, the circulatory system for the for, for OKRs is 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 nice. I like that. So, um, okay, so we've talked about what it is, why there's a need for it, in terms of well, in terms of work that perhaps you've done with clients around this. I mean, obviously, you've done work on OKRs for a long, long time now. One of the one of the first, arguably, in 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 this field. Um, but in terms of kind of taking that expanded view to look at the modern operating model in organizations, h- how have you approached that with organizations that you've worked with? Well, so, um, and I appreciate you saying one of the longest practitioners is saying a really old dog and can he learn any new tricks? Um, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you think about it, I mean, to put that in context, just to, to help your listeners, in my mind, uh, yeah, I was at, I was teaching at Harvard. I got involved in the initial balance scorecard research in the late 80s, early 90s. All we did is took Drucker's work from 30 years before and made it a little bit more contemporary. Mm. All we did with OKRs is take the work that we did with the balance scorecard and make it a little bit more contemporary, you know, by about 30 years. And so, you know, what's different? Well, a lot of stuff is the same. But there's new stuff. We've got more information. We've got a faster cadence of business that you talked about before. You know, we need organizations to be more agile. I mean, I used to make, you know, do five-year strategic plans for organizations. <laughs> I can't imagine. Do- yeah, you chuckle. I can't imagine doing that anymore. The uncertainty that we used to have out five years, we now have out one year. So my old five-year plan is my one-year plan. That means mm-hmm. my old one-year plan is now my one-quarter plan. So, you know, we have this incredible time compression going on. And the good news is the OKRs, as we often practice them, accommodate that uh, faster cadence. And they allow us to have a strategy that we can refresh once a quarter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in essence, many of the things that you as a practitioner are already doing in the OKR space are elements of the modern operating system. Mm -hmm. But we're not, um, so far, we're just taking on a small part of the management puzzle. And what I'm trying to encourage your listeners to do through this conversation is to take on the whole enchilada. So one of the reasons we developed the balance scorecard is at the time at, back at Harvard, we were trying to use activity-based costing to measure how organizations perform. Mm. The dilemma was 
the accounting rules were getting in the way. And so the bounce scorecard allowed us to escape many of the accounting structures that don't represent knowledge creating businesses. No, interesting. interesting. Well, you know, the example is if you charge your listeners more for this uh, podcast, would they learn more? Well, no, <laughs> right? That's a wrong unit of measure, right? We should be measuring, are they taking notes? Are they being able to change their OKRs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Way better measures the amount of money spent on producing this or uh, the customer pays for it. So that was a dilemma we had back in the 80s. And, and back then, we didn't have permission to use non-financial measures and leading and lagging. So we introduced a bunch of those concepts and now they're just, you know, the common things. OKRs have introduced another cadre of common things are, but I always say what's interesting about OKRs is there's no one thought leader. There's, no. you, know, you think of bounce scorecards, you think of my buddies, Bob and uh, Dave, yeah, but Kaplan and Norton. Uh, this is a crowdsourced solution. And so I always say to organizations I touch that rule number one of OKRs is there's no rule number one. You get to shop a la carte and bring in what you want. Now, that also gives you a Frankenstein monster. You got to be careful what we call yeah. together. Um, but so far, we've only been taken on part of the puzzle. So think of this. Think of Tesla, right? What's interesting about Tesla is they've play, they're playing the infinite game and they're not limited by previous thinking. So when you get in your Tesla and you say, I want to go from point A to point B, your Tesla also considers things like how much power does a car have? And if you don't have sufficient to go from A to B, it gives you some guidance on the route you might want to take to go there. Hmm. Now, it's smarter than that, though. It also considers what the weather might be on those alternate routes. But it's way smarter than that. It will even consider, am I a fan of... Uh, the Canadian coffee franchise called Tim Hortons or Starbucks. Uh, and it will help me choose what charging station I go to based on what the driver <laughs> wants. No, you laugh, but it, it considers what does the driver want, what the weather is, you know, mm. what your ETA is, like a whole bunch of stuff. And if you look at it, it's bloody obvious. Like, why would a car not consider those things? Yeah. Next time you go in your car, you ask it, uh, please take me to my favorite coffee shop and see what happens hmm. i don't think kias do that just yet <laughs> no no but that's the point and was that capability there when your key was built absolutely in its early stages probably oh come on i was you know long before uh google maps existed there were you know tom toms and other stuff like don't yeah, give yeah, an excuse yeah. it's not a limitation of the technology, just the person that was designing that car put some blinders on. Yeah. They looked at it in a siloized world. Here's the guilt part of the sermon for your listeners. We're looking at OKRs in a siloized part of uh, the perspective. I, yeah. I, man, I'm going to hop on this soapbox. So uh, <laughs> and I've, I've, John Doerr, I've known John since uh, 1999. He sponsored one of my dot coms. So he and I have had this debate forever. Of course, in the book, which people mistakenly think is the Bible, Measure What Matters, yeah. he says, don't link OKRs to compensation. What in the world, John, could be more ludicrous? You can't say we're building these objectives about what's super important to the business, but we're going to compensate people on something different. Like, John, in what world do you exist? And of course, John answers, a world where I show up with $25 million and I say, stand on your head, and these young bucks go stand on their head. 
that's not how the rest of the world operates. So let's take a look at that dilemma for a second that we thought was a rule. So one way to look at it is if the concern about linking to compensation, of course, is that someone is going to game the system. In other words, I'm going to falsify the data in order to get better compensation. Well, I'll give you an example. I've noticed that in my consulting business, there's a relationship between my cell phone bill and revenue two months in the future. And the issue is I've got finite capacity. So if my cell phone bill's too high, I begin to panic because it's going to cause more demand than I can meet. So I throttle back on my selling technique. Okay, simple system. Now, what would happen if my consultants game the system and they they drove their cell phone bills higher by talking to their sweeties and their moms in it. And now the cell phone bill looks pretty high. I go, Brett, throttle back on selling. We've got lots of business. And in two months time, I have to fire them all because we've got no business. In other words, if I game the system, I'm in fact damaging the organization for the benefit of personal gain. Well, that is a cultural issue. You can't solve that by changing your OKRs, solve that by solving the culture where people recognize there's no benefit in cheating the system. In fact, it's to the detriment of all of us. That's argument number one. And if you stop and think about that for a second, John, what are you thinking about? But the the more compelling argument is this, John, that is an argument that comes from 1968. Because in the OKR world, I can't artificially make it look like my sales number is high because I'll know the next instant because I don't see more orders on the shop floor. And if I make the orders in shop floor artificially high, I'll know in a second because I'm not getting finished goods done. And if I make the finished goods number high, I'll know in a second because I'm not seeing the shipments. In other words, because of the cadence of business, I can't cheat one system without it being obvious in the next system in the process. So Mm -hmm. that idea of gaming the numbers is both a cultural sin, but also technically impossible in the OKR world. So, but as practitioners, for some reason, Every single organization says you can't link OKRs to compensation. And then we're looking at the OKR world in a silo. I'm pretending it does part of the business and not the other. The modern operating model is just saying, stop it. Look at it as a total system. So I think you might have actually jumped into the realm of one of our uh, future planned conversations there. Actually, <laughs> OKRs, OKRs and reward, uh, and uh, there's a lot I could uh, uh, discuss and debate with you over that. Um, which, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep that to myself. I'm not going to get my soapbox uh, this particular chicken. time. <laughs> how out of, how out no. of character? Uh, well, you see, you know, I just um, I'm keeping my powder dry and just uh, uh, pacing myself, if you will. <laughs> so, just coming back onto the uh, modern operating model, um, you know, as I said uh, at, at the top of the uh, uh, the show, we um, we often see, you know, the pioneering activity, the early adopting activity done in North America. So, what are you seeing around, you know, this happening over there? Well, so um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's geographically bound. Um, you know, for I talk about a useless uh, key result. Um, last year, I put on 360,000 miles. So the equivalent of flying around the world 12 times. Uh, our experience base, what I'm describing to you, comes from a global um, acknowledgement. It's not based on North America anymore. Um, what you know, 
back in the day when we rolled out the Bell scorecard, it took about a decade before we began seeing it in places like the Middle East. With OKRs, we're seeing it taking more like two years. In other mm-hmm. words, the speed of adoption, like everything else in the modern business world, is much faster than it was before. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing much more global participation. So here's an interesting, and so we're learning from around the world. So last year, I happened to spend a lot of time in Asia. What's interesting about many Asian companies is they're run with what I'm going to call benevolent autocracy. So yes, we have management teams and and so forth, but ultimately the leader of the organization has more latitude to actually make decisions than we see in other organizations. Mm -hmm. And that benevolent autocracy allows them to be more agile, to work more effectively. There's a bunch of benefits around it. In the OKR world, what if we applied RACI, you know, responsible, accountable, consulted, informed to each objective? And there's one person who's accountable and we give them the grant of authority to move forward. So one of our clients, Shopify, really pushes this hard where they're saying, uh, you know, a position, uh, a, a need opens in the organization. We need to be able to market better. I'm not going to give that person a job description. I'm going to say, what are your objectives? What is it you need to do? And what decision authority do you have? You can spend up to $100,000 without asking any permission. So we're, we're establishing islands of, of benevolent um, autonomy where they can make decisions on behalf of the organization, provided they live within those guidelines. Well, that's a better way of designing an organization than we've done historically. And so that didn't come from uh, North America. You know, that came from mm-hmm. organizations recognizing that um, diversity is not just uh, of, you know, religion or skin color. It's a thought process. Mm-hmm. How we bring better thought processes into our organizations and no location has domain on that. Now, you know, as you know, historically, I'm a Brit and Brits uh, love um, research and science, whereas other cultures like the typical North American culture is higher on risk. They need less data, can take a leap of faith. They tend to, you know, hero worship more. So if a hero tells us something, we tend to believe it. So that allows them to experiment more. But that doesn't mean all the experiments come from North America, nor from uh, other cultures. What it means, though, is as OKR practitioners, we need to have a little sensors out and notice across organizations what things are working And what is the systemic underlying issue that allowed that to work? Now, what happens is we seem to have a faster learning cycle in some areas. So uh, in the manufacturing world, Japan for a long time had faster learning cycles. And it took America a difficult. In management systems, currently, your model is right that more contemporary thinking is coming out of North America. But that is not an exclusive thing. It's just at this point in time, that's where the market forces are trending. But I don't think that's going to be sustainable. I think uh, with everything that we've described, even this podcast, things like Zoom and and uh, that need for agility and strategic fluidity, uh, that's no longer going to be the domain of North America. Mm-hmm. So that I, I was chasing my tail there for a second. <laughs> uh, so back in what we're seeing, uh, what we're seeing is um, you know, obviously, uh, more focused strategies that are playing the infinite game, but have finite uh, targets. So 
no longer do we restrict ourselves to the quarterly um, retrospective and refresh for the OKRs. We're putting in trigger uh, numbers. So if a trigger event occurs or a number, so sales are 10% too high, sales are 10% too low, I don't care if it's the second week in the quarter, you're having a retrospective, a learn forward and a refresh. Uh, and you know, COVID taught us that, right? COVID uh, was clever, it waited till the end of quarter one before it hit, but next time it might hit in the middle of quarter two. So uh, thing one we're seeing is, um, you know, even more agility in that strategy. Yeah. We're seeing better empowerment of employees. In other words, less job descriptions, more achieve this objective. So long as you live within our values. And I, I keep harping on that because that is the the best constraint um, on, on how that gets done. Mm, effectively. Mm, yeah. We're seeing organizations far more outcome oriented. So we used to have to preach to customers and clients about outcomes versus outputs. Uh, now people get it. It's like an output is no longer even considered. Well, I wish, <laughs> yeah, maybe in the in the areas that you're working, but we still have a huge amount of education to do with a lot of our clients on that. Yeah, and so mm. I'm not saying the battle is won but it's not nearly as difficult as it was before. And part of it is the work from home environment. We understand in work from home that, uh, you know, no longer is it FaceTime, right? The output is, you know, have your face seen at six o'clock at night or seven o'clock mm. at night. Now I have to show I've achieved the outcome that's desired. And so there's that just, it's been a, a natural trend. Mm. Along that, what we're also seeing, point number three would be transparency. Uh, before uh, we would see people hogging the ball, they, you know, you can't run as fast as you can pass that that football, so pass, right? People are learning that transparency that I need to be able to pass the ball. I need to know what the other team is doing, what they're supposed to do. Uh, yeah, what am I getting at? Uh, yeah, my example is if I'm playing forward, I need to know what midfield is supposed to do and how well they're doing it. Because if they're doing their job, I can be more aggressive in the opponent's end. If they're not doing their job, I have to come back and cover for them. That's how organizations are supposed to work. That's what a team does. But I need the transparency. I need to know what every department is supposed to be doing and how well they're currently doing it. And I, I say department because people think of those silos, but we touched on this earlier. Those silos might be by product. What is product A supposed to do? versus product B, right? We think of Clay Christensen and the innovator's dilemma. That's mm -hmm. all about silos. How do I blow past those silos? So transparency is what I'm seeing far more of, that people are no longer holding information for ransom and using it as a power broker. Yeah, that's interesting. That does reflect, um, in, in, in some respects, um, my experience over, over this side of the pond. Um, seeing more transparency, definitely a desire more to empower, build stronger alignment, uh, be clearer in in prioritization, which in it, in itself, then when teams are clear on what the priority is, they can then act a lot quicker because they're not having to refer up the chain again to to get permission to act or get 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 clarification or guidance because they already have that, uh, that 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 clarity. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm definitely seeing movement in that direction here as well. Yeah, if I embellish that for a second, so you know, back to my metaphor of the six-year-old, you know, what ends up happening is we make the mistake of looking at the incident, not the pattern. So the incident is stopping our toe, 
But tomorrow's incident might be not getting my homework done. And the next day's incident might be having a fight with, with mom or whatever it might be. Eventually, and, and we keep on solving each one of those with a process. I have a process so she doesn't stub her toe. I have a process so she gets her homework done. I have a process so she doesn't fight with mom. And that's bureaucracy. But if I could look at the underpinning pattern of what we're seeing is, uh, you know, maybe an aggravation. Well, let's deal with what it is that's aggravating that child and try to solve at that pattern level, not the incident level. If we think of, you know, the beautiful game, soccer, football, that um, great players understand the pattern of what's happening, not the incident. And so mm. when you watch them play the ball, they're, they're passing to a part of the field where there is no player. But they know because of the harmony between the teams that your player is going to be moving in that direction. Uh, uh, you know, I've, I emigrated to Canada. So now I think uh, hockey is, you know, God's gift to sport. <laughs> and uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky has an expression to say, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. Yeah. And in business, we keep on skating to where the puck is, not to where it's going to be. So mm. how is it we begin understanding those patterns and moving towards the patterns and ensuring our success in that format. That's what we're seeing. And that's what the transparency does. And that, you know, and OKRs become the circulatory system, the information system that allows me to recognize those patterns and, and manage towards the patterns, not the incident. Well, so you may well have just answered my final question, actually, which, but I'll still ask it just to ch double check, <laughs> which was going to be, so what action should listeners be taking now if they want to, you know, upgrade the, the operating model of their organizations? Well, so uh, one, of, of course, uh, step one of any change is be aware of the need of change. So if anything that we've talked about resonates with them, then, you know, it should give them pause for consideration. The the second thing they should do, and this is uh, sort of a shallow, selfless advertisement for your and my next podcast, and that would be, come listen to the next podcast, because we'll begin to tell you how to solve these problems. And I'm going to give you a bit of a teaser. I mean, you said you weren't going to uh, talk about this compensation thing. Well, I am going to talk about what you and I, Roger, are going to talk about next time, mm. and that's back to GPT. So, you know, imagine, think of step one of, of writing OKRs is get clear on your strategy. How do you do that right now? Well, you do some strategic thinking and then you put some ideas in front of the leadership team and you have that discussion. Well, what if, what if, imagine this, what if you came up with some strategic ideas and you said to chat GPT, hey, take a look at these five ideas through the eyes of a regulator. And it gives you some feedback. Then you say, okay, now take a look at it through the eyes of a customer. Now take a look at the same strategy through the eyes of uh, an employee, uh, through an investor through whoever your stakeholders are. And now, before you even have meeting number one on your strategy, you've pulled the wisdom of the world, not just mm -hmm. the seven people in the room and their limited experience of you know 20 years in business, but literally the experience of the world and applied that wisdom before you step in the room. Mm -hmm. If that's not uh, a disruptive influence for business, because that's only step one, We'll take you through a story of each step in designing and running with your OKRs, how GPT, you know, generative pre-trained uh, transformation is going to change every single step in that pattern. And it all is because of integration. 
because we're integrating what you know about your business, what the world knows about your competitors, what your world knows about the market, what the world knows about every strategy that's occurred and giving you access to that. It's that integration that is the driving force to what business is going to look like going forward. And I'll guarantee you, our kids will wonder what lunacy we had when we took seven people in a room to develop a strategy for a multi-billion dollar company. (laughs) Right. Well, on that note, I think we had better conclude. Uh, Thank you very much for your, um, your passion and your wisdom today, Brett. I should look forward to uh, the next in our little in our special little uh, uh, program of conversations, uh, which will be coming in the in in the next couple of weeks for listeners. Uh, so, uh, just final wrap up from you, Brett. If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Um, well, they can always look me up on that newfangled thing called the internet. Um, they can reach me at uh, Brett B R E T T at pm2consulting.com or of course Roger they can always reach me through you yes indeed okay thank you very much Brett and thank you again uh, to to those of you that have joined us today and we look forward to uh, uh, to further conversations in the future so thanks for tuning in to Giant Talk and take care